Well, good morning and uh, welcome to the, the, our regular service. I'll be filling in for Norma this morning and, and we're going to be in the book of Luke. And I thought, well, I'll just steal a phrase from Paul. He says, when he wrote to those Corinthians, he says, I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and Him crucified. So we're in Luke chapter 23 today. And we'll start reading in verse 32, Luke chapter 23, verse 32. And there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. <clears throat> then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. That's our text for today and uh, as we begin here. and uh, <clears throat> You know, that's the what Paul determined was to preach Christ and him crucified because nothing else really does any good. You can teach moral behavior and, and rules and laws and things, but... Nothing, nothing has any lasting effect except the gospel, and and that's what we have here. In in Luke twenty three thirty four, Jesus said, "Father, forgive them," and that's going to be our the main thing that we focus on today. In because it's the culmination of the gospel, the the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, the thing that that pays the sins for. His people, the good news that Christ indeed died for our sins, according to the scriptures, as Paul wrote there in First Corinthians fifteen, uh, three, <clears throat> and more specifically, the scriptures say, which is so pointedly brought out here in Luke and later in his addresses to uh, uh, in Acts, and as Paul wrote in Romans. Uh, for when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, and certainly he was surrounded by a multitude of them while they, they hanged him on the cross there, and and one on the left and one on the right that were, uh, as mentioned in your bulletin this morning, what made the difference between the thief on the right and the thief on the left? They were, if you read the other Gospels and you read a com the, the kind of the, combination of all of it said they they both cast the same in his teeth it said and then at the end one of them turned to him and said he the other one was railing on him and saying hey you should come if you're the Christ come down save yourself save us and he didn't really believe that that was could happen and the other one says don't you fear God seeing you were in the same condemnation and 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 then he turned to the Lord and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the Lord said, uh, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So big difference between those two. And, <clears throat> and yet they were both in the same condition only moments before. Isn't that uh, what we find? <clears throat> and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us there in Romans 5.8. 
You know, at the moment Christ was being executed, there was a multitude that followed him from the praetorium, the judgment hall, up to uh, Golgotha or Calvary. Is it, it Latin? Uh, Calgary is in the Latin. Uh, Golgotha in the Greek. But as they they led him up there to to crucify him, we find that in the praetorium. Uh, many of the people were shouting, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" And when when uh, Pilate was trying to release unto them Barabbas, they said, "No, we want we want Christ crucified." Or when he wanted to release uh, Jesus, they said, "We want Barabbas and crucify Christ." And and by grace, you know, we find in in Acts chapter two. Uh, as Peter preached the very thing that we we're talking about right now, the gospel of good, the good news that Christ died for the ungodly, and that their sins were paid for on the cross, the the Holy Spirit was pleased to re, to to breathe life into three thousand souls who were before dead in, in sin. And <clears throat> let's uh, let's just turn over there to Acts chapter two for a minute and and. Uh, Examine that. And remember, at the early part of chapter two, they're they're preaching the gospel, and everyone's hearing it in their own language, and and the wonderful works of God. And as Peter's preaching. As uh, Brother Lauren mentioned earlier, he, he covered the death, burial, and the resurrection, and and then and then he makes it personal. He puts it on a personal level for those people that were listening to him, and verse thirty-six of Acts chapter two says, "Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus." the one that he'd been preaching, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And they they thought, well, you know, I wasn't the one hanging those uh, nails in his feet and hands or pounding them in. I wasn't the one that that caused him to do that. But then we find when the Lord breathes into them the breath of light, when he gives them that new heart and that new spirit that is talked about in Ezekiel 36, they looked at and said, "You know that we were we did crucify him. We were the reason that he was crucified." And <clears throat> now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They were goaded in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, "What shall we do?" Which uh, uh, Lauren addressed in the Bible class. That's our typical answer. What shall we do? What shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins or because of the remission of sins, not in order to obtain them, but because that has already occurred. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you, to your children, to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves 
from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. What an amazing thing. Those very ones that, that uh, only a few weeks before had been yelling, crucify him, crucify him, now gladly received the, the word. And, uh, and that's only due to the work of the Spirit in them. <clears throat> and, you know, the Scripture said he was crucified between two other malefactors in verse 32. And as it was written in Isaiah, you know, everything is just perfectly fulfills all the Scriptures that were written ahead of time <clears throat> because that's what God determined to be done. In Isaiah 53, 12, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And, and as we noted earlier, the grace that was displayed to the one thief, whose name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, who God knew from before the foundation of the world, and gave to the Son to redeem at the last moment of his life. <clears throat> he was uh, caused to turn unto Christ, where the other one uh, <clears throat> still railed on him right, to, right down to the, the very end. <clears throat> uh, again, uh, you could check out that uh, article in your bulletin there on the distasteful doctrines that are they're so distasteful to the human nature because they <clears throat> they remove our our they remove self from the equation. They take away our our ability, and it and it doesn't appeal to our natural pride that we like to have some say in our outcome. We like to have some say in our how things work and <clears throat> some some measure of control, and and we find out that. <clears throat> Because of sin, we're we're just headed in one way. We're only we're only able to achieve one thing in in sin, and and it takes the grace of God to turn us from that and to a new direction, turn us to Him. <clears throat> and so, there's this important truth that must be declared again regarding the nature of Jesus as as both God and man here that we find in this scripture when Jesus calls out there's you know there's 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 seven sayings there recorded that he's what he said on the cross and three of them were directed to his father and four of them were to the the ones at large there and to the man the one thief <clears throat> but the first thing he says is as he's hanging there about to give up the ghost he said father Forgive them, for they they know not what they do, what they do, and and you know this speaks to the nature of Jesus as both man and God, and has been proclaimed from the beginning of the scriptures through to the end. Uh, and as Pilate brought out when he was on trial, when Jesus was on trial with him, he said uh, they placed that crown of thorns and the purple robe on him, and Pilate said, "Behold the man." Uh, he uttered those words that that were so prophetic, and because in First Timothy chapter two verse five says there is 
For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And that's what the scriptures tell us. For in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be born uh, under the law and to redeem them that were under the law. And so this, <clears throat> what we'd like to focus our attention to a little a bit today is when he's speaking, Father, forgive them because because they know not what they do. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to God. Who is he speaking about? <clears throat> and how is he able to fulfill that that gap that's between uh, us who are uh, sinners and God who is righteous? And uh, <clears throat> in our text of Luke, it it just tells us about that daysman that Job talked about in uh, in uh, chapter 9 of the book of Job. <clears throat> and thousands of years before this took place, Job wrote of the need for such a one, for a daysman, he calls him. One, one that could be the arbitrator, one that could be the defender, one that could be the judge, one that could fulfill all the needs that we have satisfying both God and satisfying the needs of men. And in Job chapter 9, verse 1, then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should a man be just with God? How He knew his condition, and he said, how can a man that's dead in trespasses and sin, how can a man that's in our natural condition be just with God. How can God look down and say that man is just? He says, if he will contend with him, he can't answer him one of a thousand. So he said, of ourselves, we can't we can't come up with that answer. And and Job then he notes the anger of God towards sin and and recognizes that God must be, his righteousness must be satisfied. And and then Paul wrote of that very issue in Romans uh, chapter 3. <clears throat> and beginning at Job, he preached Christ to the world. In Romans chapter 3, verse 26, he says, To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So he fulfills both those roles as the, the daysman. <clears throat> Job wrote, if I justify myself, my own mouth shall condemn me. If we say we're righteous, I haven't. If we say that we have not sinned, we, that's Johnson, we make, we're, we're just liar. <clears throat> if, I, if I justify myself, my own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. The very thing that I'm saying proves the incorrectness of it and and my inability and so to him it's clear that there has to be an advocate there has to be an intercessor there has to be a mediator there has to be someone that he says that can lay a hand on us both that can touch God and satisfy his righteousness and can touch man and say your sins have been taken care of. 
Job 9.32 says, For he's not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. So a daysman declares both the righteousness of God and at the same time declares himself the atoner, the intercessor in their place. And so we have, as Moses wrote, Jesus lifted up from the earth, suspended between God and man. Isn't that an interesting way that that metaphor is developed in in the Old Testament and then carried out in the New where he's, he's lifted up from the earth and he's able to put a hand on man and put a hand on God and satisfy the needs of both. And so as we look at these words spoken by the Lord that have eternal significance, they they demand that we apply them as Jesus applied them here and in his other words and prayers that he directed at the Father because when he says, Father, forgive them, he's speaking to his Father. He's in... He's praying to his Father. He's communicating to his Father. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And and they pardoned his raiment and cast lots. Well, we we must notice again who the them is. and, And we have to make that agree with and be consistent with what's been written before by the prophets and what... Jesus said himself in his direct prayer to the Father in John 17. And as he he's lifted up as Moses wrote about it in the wilderness. And in Numbers 21.8, the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And that was in a physical sense, because we know that all those people died in the wilderness uh, of unbelief. But the ones that that did look up, the ones that looked up at that brazen serpent up on a pole, they lived the ones that were bitten by that metaphorical serpent of sin. And it says, any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he he lived. And any man only applies to the ones who believed and look up. And so we find in John chapter 3, as Jesus refers back to this uh, lifting up of this brazen serpent, the brazen always... uh, is a symbol of uh, brass so is a symbol of judgment in the in the bible and so we see that that judgment being lifted up there in john 3:14 as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness even so must the son of man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life <clears throat> and so we saw this example earlier where Many beheld him being lifted up in in actual time and the physical nature of it there as recorded in Luke 23 and the other Gospels. And as people look up 
through reading those passages in the scripture. But not everyone believes. And we know that we only believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So in the context of John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. In the context of that memory, he's, he's talking to Nicodemus. And he tells Nicodemus, he says, lest man be born again, he can't see, he can't, he can't get a glimpse of this. He can't see the kingdom of God. He can't enter into the kingdom of God either. He can't look up to the daysman. He might look up there as a spectacle, but he doesn't see him as the intercessor that he needs until God causes that to happen in his heart. <clears throat> and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And, you know, in our previous lesson, we noticed that Jesus knew from eternity his people, those whom God had given him from eternity. And we said as he looked out in that crowd of that multitude that was yelling at him to crucify him crucify him I believe he could look out there and say I'm about to go to the cross and die for you and 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 you and, you. and it turns out about 3,000 of them <laughs> here and it's recorded in Acts uh, chapter 2 and, and uh, there these things we noted from in the last lesson that he knew those whom God had given him in eternity. And we find that in Luke in his prayer in John chapter 17. He says, I pray not for the world. I pray for them whom thou hast given me. It's very specific. So the same then must apply in this case as applied there. Because... Uh, certainly, if you looked at it another way, then then his uh, his death on the cross would be uh, meaningless, really, because if he died on the cross for the sins of people, and then they end up paying for their own sin in hell, what what sense would that be? And that's where we'd all be if it wasn't for the wonderful, magnificent grace of God in, in, in breathing into us the breath of life and causing us to believe and to acknowledge our own condition and our own need of that daysman, that, that intercessor. In John 17, 2, it says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh. So he has power over everything. That, or for the purpose that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. It doesn't say that he, he, he gives eternal life to all, or that it's extended to all, but he makes a differentiation there between he has power over all fresh, flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And So that verse alone kind of dispels any human-derived notion of a universal application of what was said on the cross. Forgive them, uh, for they know not what they do. Now, I think that was directed at a certain people uh, throughout eternity. They, they didn't know what they did. And even Paul said, 
you know, I, I did things in ignorance. But then God, God had a meeting with me. <laughs> and then I changed. <clears throat> but it was after that God, uh, God had the meeting with him that he changed, not before. <clears throat> and so as the word of God prayed to his father in the garden, it must be consistent with his prayer to the father as he was lifted up on the cross. I I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And so <clears throat> the them is specifically limited to those whom thou hast given me. And, you know, he, he didn't just come up with that right on the, the spot. He was just quoting what was written in Isaiah 8.18, where it's written, Behold, I and the children... Whom thou has the whom the Lord has given me, are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of Hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. So, so I believe that was a prophecy of him paying the price, being there on the cross, and saying to the Father, "Behold, I and the children whom thou hast given me, behold, I have paid the price for them." <clears throat> and as he was the daysman between them. He could look up to God and say, I paid for their sins. I paid for every single one, all through time. And the Father could look down through them, through the lens of his Son, and say, I see no spot in them. I see no wrinkle. All I see is my Son. So the word of God must agree. He couldn't pray one way, one time and a different way another time because he's, I am the Lord, I change not. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not changeable. <clears throat> and he said with authority that God forgive them because the atonement was completed. You know, when when he says in, in John chapter 19, in John's uh, gospel record, <clears throat> And he records one of those sayings, one of those seven sayings of Christ on the cross. He said, it's finished. And that word is a term which <clears throat> describes a debt being discharged. If you look that up in the Greek, that's what that means. A debt has been discharged. The complete payment accomplished. It's like when you pay off your loan on your car, you get the title in the mail. When you pay off your mortgage, you get a deed. Your debt has been satisfied. Your debt has been discharged. Well, in this case, he said it is finished because he satisfied the debt. He made the complete payment. It was accomplished. The obligation was satisfied. He is just, as he looks up to God as the daysman and says, the required payment has been met. I have met it on behalf of the people whom thou gavest me. Thine they were, thou gavest them to me. The obligation is satisfied. And he's the justifier. He's not only just in, in satisfying God, but he's the justifier because he himself made the payment. He made the atonement through his 
blood. And, and as a as uh, Lauren pointed out so many times in the Bible class this morning uh, and read again from, I think he read in his class, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, but he read it again in, in many, many places. It's wrote, written that he satisfied it with his own blood. He paid the debt. In, in Psalm 85, there's a verse I really like there in Psalm 85, verse 10. It says, Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Isn't that a great picture of that daysman? Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. The, the satisfaction of the Father, His justice and His righteousness met and there's peace with him because of the atonement paid by Christ. And that's what it says in Isaiah 53, verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. <clears throat> by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. That's the same them that we're when he says, Father, forgive them, because he bore their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He didn't bear the sins of all, or consequently all would be, would be or must be saved. If he paid their penalty, then... What obligation do they have? He made intercession for the transgressor. He's the daysman who was lifted up between God and man, who could lay a hand on us both. In Romans, the 8th chapter and verse 34, it says, Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. That's what that, that, that resurrection that Lauren brought out in the Bible class, he's sitting at the right hand of God, making intercession for us, saying, he's putting a hand on us both. So I know that that person is a sinner, but I paid for that. And then God doesn't even see the, uh, in your bulletin there's a, a little paragraph from Song of Solomon. He says, hey, We just appear beautiful in the eyes of God through His Son. <clears throat> the miracle, the great blessing is that God chose to have mercy on anyone, that He would go through that for anyone, that He would suffer those things. Uh, I think the scripture says that He, in, he endured such contradiction of the our nature, the very opposite of his, that he would go through all that because he loved us from all eternity, even though we were undeserving of grace and we all cried out, crucify him, crucify him. We're all sinners against God, enmity, at enmity with him is what it, hatred against him. But in God's great grace, in Romans 9.21, he says, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump? 
to make one vessel unto honor and the other unto dishonor, just like those two thieves on the cross. They both had their purpose. They both had their <clears throat> predestined end. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory? How many things has he put up with through long suffering in order to bring about the salvation of, of his people, of his elect, of his sheep? And many of them, and I know in our own many cases that my parents were not really religious. And I'm sure they left this world not knowing much about, uh, if anything, about salvation. And when when we would speak to them about it and other family members, they'd say, that's nice that you're so concerned about us, but don't ever do that again. <laughs> We've all heard that, you know. What There has to be some divine work there that, that causes them to uh, want to know about that, that wants them, causes them to ask the right question and, and look to the right answer, as Lauren said. <coughs> What a miracle that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, as it says in Romans 5.8. Lifted up, as it was written, suspended between heaven and earth, the daysmen who could lay a hand on us both. So we'll end there with Luke 23, Father, forgive them. So be free because Christ prayed it would be so. Thank you for your attention and 